Okay, so today, as I always say, we have a fantastic one, but we really do. We have a really fun one. This is someone that I've been trying to get for quite some time, <laughs> and uh, I'm really thrilled to have her on, to say the least, on a, on a personal level and professional level, whatever. Um, but uh, I have none other than Academy Award nominee and uh, you know book author, uh, nutritionist. Uh, I, I could give her multiple titles. But uh, Muriel Hemingway, thanks, Muriel, for being on. It's thank God we finally did it, right? Yeah, this is. <laughs> We've been trying, but we finally we finally landed it, and exactly oh perseverance. Here. Exactly. Cool. Well, I'll tell you what. Right out of the gates, um, you know, I, I looked over like your whole career and things, and I've always kind of known about it, but you know, we kind of went through things. Now, so you received an Academy Award nomination for um, Manhattan, which was in 1979. And yeah. uh, how, you know, first of all, what was it like? You're 18 years old. Were you able to take in like the enormity of that moment? Not at all. Here, Here's what's funny about the entire situation. So I make the movie. I'm literally 16 when I make it. Right. Oh, wow. So I'm, I'm 16. I'm in Manhattan. It's so exciting. I, you know, Woody Allen is very, very good to me. Everybody on this on the set is amazing. I have the most amazing time, but I'm 16 years old. So I go back to Idaho after making it and um, life is just not the same. So I can I, I, I tell my parents I want to move back to New York because, you know, like that's it's amazing there and they're like you're 16 I'm like yeah I know but I just made a movie where I was like dating somebody and I was supposed to be older so I might as well be older and move back anyway my parents should have given much more resistance had I been my parent yeah <laughs> exactly no and you know wait two years anyway my parents were like okay so off I went to New York literally at 16 years old that's I moved crazy to New York. but here's the funny thing so I may I had made this amazing movie Manhattan and I'm in New York City but because I'm a minor I can't for some reason there was some child labor laws or something I couldn't get the money until I was 18 years old so I literally moved to New York City and I barely had enough money to like exist there. My parents, like, <laughs> my dad, like, got me set up in a very small studio, one room apartment, way on the Lower East Side, which when that was when the Lower East Side was not cool. And, no, and, I was just gonna say, yeah. yeah, it was so funny. Anyway, so I was walking dogs, and 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 cleaning people's <laughs> my friends' apartments. Oh my god. Money. And people would be like, I'd be walking all these dogs and be like, is that, I think we saw her in a movie. Anyway, it was very funny. And then I was nominated and I had no idea really what a nomination was. I was, when I was nominated, uh, I got a part in a movie called Personal Best. Uh-huh. So during when the Oscars came around, it was the year of the Oscars, I guess, 79. And I was making personal best. So I was on set and I didn't know who to take. So I invited Scott Glenn, who is my co-star in 
in um, personal best. He played my coach. And oh, the only great reason, actor. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I had a little bit of a crush on him, but it was like 18 years old. So yeah, sure. Teacher, you know, and apparently uh, his wife, Carol, who's a friend who became a friend of mine was <laughs> kind of pissed off at me. And I was such a naive, like very naive girl. You're I 18. Like, Come on. I didn't realize that that would like cause problems in you know, in his personal life. Anyway, so I invited him. I dress up like a bride. I'm wearing <laughs> white like I'm a bride. I have no idea what the Academy Awards are. I don't oh, even wow. know what this is about. And I'm up against Meryl Streep and, you know, <laughs> this person, that person. I'm like, wow, that's cool. She looks really like she's amazing. You know? <laughs> oh my God. So, it, you know, no, I did not have a clue what was going on. Wow, that is a wild story. Seriously. You know, I, I picture you like in these homes cleaning and the person's like, oh, hey, hey, by the way, congratulations <laughs> on your nomination for the Academy Award. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so funny. So, you know, look, all these years I've always heard Woody Allen. He's the he's the director every actor wants to be directed by. It's like, you know, I'll work for scale to work for Woody Allen. What? Why is that? Why do you think that is? Well, in my opinion, he really is one of our great artists, you know, of 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 this, you know, of this past century, you know, and 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 current century. I really do believe that he's just he's kind of like it's kind of like watching an artist do it in the different periods of their life, you know, the mm -hmm. blue period, this period, you know, like and he has tried so many different paths to to making film it's never just yes it's a woody allen film but it's like you know there there there's hannah and her three sisters and mm -hmm. hannah and her sisters and it's like you know a very deep very you know it's kind of dark and then there's other gosh you know there's other ones that are very serious it's not just comedy so I think that he's he was really an art a, a man who made art in film. And in a world where people are making blockbusters about superheroes, which there's nothing wrong with that. I was in one of them years and yeah. years ago. Yeah. Just it's nice when you realize that there are some people out there making work that makes you go, wow, wow, that's you know, it may even have failed, but it's a it's a glorious failure. You know, it may it may not be a box office success, but oh my God, did you see what that was made of? So, mm -hmm. you know, and so I I just think it's it's working with somebody who's gonna who's gonna do things outside the boundaries. How did he connect with you on on Manhattan? Like, how did he bring that out of you to the point that, hey, you got an Academy Award nomination? Funny, he he was he's not a super hands on director. It's not hmm. like, oh, he's talks to you about stuff. I think that he's very good at casting. And when somebody's right. It's like he gives them he gives them free reign to be to be them to be to to interpret the way they interpret now it uh diane was struggling a bit in in a couple of scenes mm -hmm. and he just he was very they had a very kind they had a shorthand between between them between 
each other because they'd had a relationship and all that stuff. Right. So, so there was, a, you know, he really worked with her hard. There was a lot of conversation. It was very quiet. You know, I didn't know what was going on. Um, but when necessary, he's right in there and he's in, incredibly intelligent. So, you know, understanding character and character drive is, you know, it's really he that was just like second nature. Wow. By by the way, what was it what was it like like offset being with Diane Keaton or for that matter Meryl Streep? I didn't get to meet Meryl at the time. I met oh. Meryl at the Academy Awards. Huh. Uh, I think at the one of the pre-Academy Awards dinners is where I met Meryl. And she's always been lovely to me, you know, in passing throughout the years. Uh, I think she's an extraordinary woman. And, but Diane, I loved so much. She was she was fun. She's a, She's how you would imagine her to be. She's just super fun and open and lighthearted and a little neurotic and just, you know, there's a little Annie Hall in her, I think, yeah. you know, at least that was my take, you know, however many thousands of years ago that was. <laughs> yeah, but I get you. It's still from a, it's from a fresh pr perspective yeah. because you're 18. Yeah. I mean, you're like, or 16, whatever. Yeah. What, so why did you start acting in the first place? So my sister, Margot, mm -hmm. who took her life in 1996, I think it was, and mm -hmm. she was, she became a supermodel uh, when she was, gosh, 19 years old. I was 12. Mm -hmm. uh, and then she exploded on the fashion world into the fashion world fashion and beauty world she was on the covers of vogue and time magazine and this magazine that magazine all around the world and then there was a movie called lipstick yep and i, I remember she it got this movie and there was a part for a little sister and because she'd never acted before she called my dad and mom and said you know i think that marielle should play my little sister which i was a little su surprised because we didn't get along terribly well. Oh, interesting. Well, I was a little, you know, I was five years, seven years younger. Yeah, that's a big and difference. It's a big difference when you're at that time in life. So she just thought of me as a tattletale. And, you know, like, you know, like I was a little, I was a little girl. I was a, probably a brat. Yeah. And um, so I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, wow, I get to be so. I went to California and I didn't ever think of it as something I was going to do. I just thought, oh, this will be fun. I'll get to go wow. to California. You know, I'll be in Hollywood. I, yeah, I'll buy new school clothes. <laughs> like it was just all, God. it was all, it was, it was kind of a dream that revealed itself because when I made that movie, I got amazing reviews mm -hmm. right. uh, for, for my performance and I didn't even really know what that meant. I was like, oh, oh okay. Oh I my just, gosh. I, you know, reacting to the situation the way that you would. So Wow. So what were you dealing with like kind of at that point in your life? Like when lipstick comes around, what were you kind of like, what was going on in your life as a, oh, I don't know. What was it? You're like 12 years old. You're in Idaho. What was your typical kind of like life like, honestly, then? So. Idaho at that time, it's Sun Valley, so it's a ski resort. It's always been a little, you know, a little shishi la la, yes. but only during 
you know, the holidays and around um, 4th of July. In between, mm-hmm. it's just a small town, really. Not not so much anymore. It's it's quite, you know, it's quite the, the place to be or whatever. Right, right, right. But as a kid, you know, we moved there from Mill Valley, California when I was four. So that's always been my home. I, I the mountains, the, I was a ski racer. My mm. life in, in, in Idaho was just, that's who I was being connected in nature. It's why I do what I do now. Health mm-hmm. and wellness is such a big part of my life and nature being your best teacher, you know, whether you're at the beach and you're walking and, you know, watching sunrises and sunsets, like all of those things were a part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And they, they were, they're a big part of how I survived my childhood because there was a lot of, there was a lot of dysfunction in my house. Like there is with so many, so many people that have to deal with issues. I mean, we all have to deal with. Was it a good thing then that, I mean, I mean this in the best way, but was it kind of a good thing that you were able to kind of like leave and go do a movie? At 100%. Uh, because there was a lot of pressure to, well, I put pressure on myself. I wouldn't say that my family chose this for me, but I kind mm-hmm. of chose it for myself to be the person that was going to, I felt like I was the person who was going to fix everything because there was a lot of drinking in the house, a lot of fighting. Mm-hmm. Nobody was communicating, but there was a lot of like yelling, but it was like, it, it was like communication from one side was not meeting the other side. It was yeah. just like a flash. So when I made these move these couple of movies as a child, I realized, oh my God, life doesn't have to be that scary and stressful as, as it's been since I was a kid, now, since I was very small. Mm-hmm. And not in complaint, but I just realized that it was exhausting. And I put myself in a position to not get to not be a problem, not be an issue, clean up after messes, clean up after drinking, clean up after a party. You know, I was going to make make things good, you know, which was a stupid thing, but I didn't know any different. Now, it was a kid. I was a kid. And I thought, oh, this this is my job. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm good at this. I love everybody so much. And it wasn't that I didn't love my family. But when I left, I realized it was because I had a break making those movies and realized, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't, all this stuff doesn't have to, it's not up to me. It wasn't up to me to begin with, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that until I left. Right. So you're right. It was, it was kind of a, it was, it was kind of what I needed to do like to survive too. That's so interesting because, you know, so many people, it's, it's the, it's almost the reverse happens where they enter the industry. It totally messes them up. And you know what I mean? And for you in a way, it was the reverse. It actually took you out of a situation that was chaotic. Said that, But that's exactly, that's, yeah. I would say that it was, thank God for the craziness of Hollywood to actually make my, our crazy look kind of, okay you know, like it was mm-hmm. it, it, right. it was it was hell it was a healthy transition for me because i could negotiate if i could negotiate the world at home which was so crazy mm-hmm. in better than it i don't know like life just didn't seem that hard after right that. nobody's yeah. ever asked me that in that way so that's a very astute kind of perception 
Thanks. I, I come up with them occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> hey, um, the other one is, and it's always like the elephant in the room, I'm sure for you, is you're the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway, okay? Did you feel like, was that, would you say that's been a gift or would you say that that's been um, uh, kind of a challenge in life for you? I think it's both in some ways, but it's always an honor. So having the kind of heritage that I have and being one of the greatest writers of the 20th century and probably every century that will come to pass forever, forever. Mm -hmm. it's what a glorious heritage to come from. So I am forever grateful for that. And not to mention being a Hemingway has opened many doors. Sure. The the issue and the, the problem becomes people think you're rich, spoiled. You mm -hmm. never have to do anything in your life. They, they make assumptions about who you are and what you are and how you will be based on based on this name or this celebrity, which has nothing to do with me. My grandfather was a great, great man. And I have been blessed with that name, but you know, for me to do work and be, be relevant, that's up to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Or uh, not even relevant. That's the wrong thing. I mean, you know, the, the kind of the word of the moment, like how can you be relevant, but it's right. really, to be good in the world, to show up and 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 really be a good person and make a difference, even if it's just in your own small environment, that I feel that's that's my responsibility, and that's mm -hmm. and that's my work. But I think everybody has that kind of work somewhere, you know, at some level. If you want to be good at what you do, you have to take responsibility for it. I can't ride on the coattails of being a Hemingway. At, you know, when it comes to acting, otherwise I'm never going to get a job or, you know, write or, or being about health and wellness. I've got to know what I'm talking about. I mm -hmm. do a lot of work for mental health because I come from such mental illness and addiction and suicides. And, and while the family is so creatively like amazing, there's this dark side to it. And right. I, that's why I speak a lot about mental health in the world because, because I've had experience with it and because I think it matters for people to know that it doesn't matter what name you have, where you come from, whether you have money, no money, whatever. It's nice for people to know that a celebrity can speak out about it and say, I'm just like you. Right. Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to suffer or or to be afraid or to be isolated or to be depressed. I mean, I know these things. So so I don't know. I I I think that my ability to make a difference in the world is something that when you have celebrity or you have any kind of notoriety, I think it's your not only is it your right, but it's also your obligation to do something, first of all, to learn about it, and then mm -hmm. secondly, do something about it if it's something that you really have a, a relationship to. And that's how I feel about mental health, because I, I have such a personal relationship to all of these different facets of mental illness I wanted to share what I know and how I've survived that and actually turned 
whatever trauma I had as a child into thriving. Mm -hmm. I like my life couldn't be better. It was a lot of work to get here, but everybody can do it. Everybody can, but it has to do with everything you do. How do you eat? Whether you wake up in the morning, whether you breathe air, whether mm -hmm. you know how to breathe, whether you drink water, what kind of food you're eating, what kind of thoughts you're having. Do you take time for silence and do you get outside in nature? It sounds simplistic, but it's absolutely one of the great keys to finding to, to finding your well-being. Yeah, and most people don't do it. That's the irony. It's simplistic, exactly. but most people don't do it. Exactly. Did um you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I hadn't intended on completely staying on where we're at right now, but that's part of what I love doing. <laughs> is what happened, obviously, a tragedy, your your sister does commit suicide. Of course, your grandfather did. But did right. you feel like that? Um, do you feel like that there was a shift in you when your sister did that you, you made this decision? Like, I need to... It didn't happen right away. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen right away. So she took her life and my dad denied it. Like he didn't, because he came from a father that took his life to, to then say, oh my God, I have a daughter that's taken her life. I have my mm -hmm. oldest daughter who, you know, is schizophrenic and bipolar. And, you know, she was going to be this great tennis player and a great intellect and all that stuff. And that didn't work out. So I think for him, it was such a, his denial comes from just a trauma that was so deep mm -hmm. that he couldn't handle it. Um, so I, I'm sorry, I forgot the question. Well, I just I mean, did did when your when your sister did pass? Oh did, yeah, I was saying, was there an impetus that kicked in oh, for you? Oh right. So my point was that it didn't. I didn't. It didn't happen initially. Like I didn't get on the bandwagon. I saw kind of took my dad's side. I never said that it was suicide. And there was a, a year I was speaking for, uh, because my, my grandfather had taken his life. Uh, I was speaking for the American foundation for the prevention of suicide. Wow. And I got up on stage and in my speech or my keynote, I, I just blurted out that my sister took her life. And mm. I had never said it before. Mm. And it was a moment of like, oh, that's, I'm supposed to, that's, I'm supposed to own that, you know? Wow. And, and, and when I did that, that was kind of the unraveling that made me realize I need to share my family history and my story so that other people can realize that part, part of the healing process is to know your story, heal your, you know, tell your story and then you get to heal from that. Right. right. So that's yeah, that's, and it's been an unraveling ever since I, I mm -hmm. learn something new every time I speak to somebody like you, when I mm -hmm. speak on stage, I was last week, I was in Ohio speaking at a, a foundation for, uh, for addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, it reveals to me something new about, me about my story about the issue itself so that it's you know self-discovery and self-awareness and healing is a, is a forever process right? right there's no end to it it's just it's like it's like life you never stop mm -hmm. growing you never stop learning you, or you shouldn't because you should 
your life should not really go much further if you're not eager to learn. I agree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah keep challenging. Keep pushing. Yes. Keep, yeah. That's right. That keeps you going. Um, yes. Let's go. Uh, let uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to your your movie career. I gotta tell you, I I remember when Star Eighty uh, came out, and I remember thinking, "Oh my God, you talk about perfect casting." I mean, Dorothy <laughs> Stratton was very famous. Whatever you were, perfectly cast as that, and and you were, I mean, exceptional. I'm not just saying that you were, and well, it's true. And you know, there were a lot of like, you know, nude uh, nude scenes. They were violent scenes. Yeah. How did you, as an actress, go to that place? Because it's very real. It was very interesting because I'd done Manhattan and it was this, you know, this girl, you know, kind of sophisticated girl in New York City. And then I made personal best and I was an athlete and I mm -hmm. wanted to play that athlete because I'd been an athlete. I was a ski racer as a kid. I was, you know, I did dry land training. I really knew what it was like to be an athlete. Wow. So I wanted to play that role. And then Star 80 was brought to me by my agent, who was also Bob Fosse's agent, oh, the, the man who directed sure. it. Very famous. Right. So I said to my agent, he was like, oh, you know, Bob Fosse's doing this thing. I don't think he's going to go for you because he, he can't see it. I've mentioned it to him, but he can't see it. And I said, just get me in a room with him. I promise you, I will convince him. And he wouldn't see me. He wouldn't My see gosh. me. He wouldn't see me. He wouldn't see me. He was like, no, she's, you know, she's a cute girl, but no, she's not right for this. Right. So finally, finally, after I wrote him letters, I was like, oh I really my gosh, you really went for it. Oh yeah. Let me, let me just meet with you. You can't say no to, you know, getting me in the room. Anyway, long story short, we finally got in a room together and he saw, and I said to him, I said, look, I understand the loss of innocence. Like I really do. I mean, mm -hmm. making Manhattan was kind of a loss of innocence. It was like, I was there kind of with looking like I'm more sophisticated than I was. That was something that Dorothy had. She had this mm -hmm. innocence, like this wide-eyed Bambi look to her. Totally not really realizing the world she was getting into. It was a bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I've watched my sister become a superstar and then I've watched the world try to take her down, right? And this mm -hmm. was before she took her life, but she, you know, she was drinking too much. She was doing a lot of drugs. Right. So I said, I, I get who this person is. I know, I know the victim that she became. I, I'm not that victim, but I could easily have have gone in a direction of being taken over by somebody else's ideals, trying to please as a people pleaser, all of those things. Anyway, so then we read together and he was a little pissed. He was like, you're right for this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, so that was it. And it was, I learned a lot making that movie i learned a lot about i skill and 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 movement i mean because he was a choreographer mm -hmm. every one of those scenes where i'm posing you know like it looks like it's just you know flash cuts of of things 
he choreographed it all. So it was wow. actually a, a, a mini dance that he cut into like boom, boom, boom shots. Oh my but God. Every one of the, uh, every scene that it looks like a still, he was like, I want you to go from this position to this. It was amazing. Wow. I learned about that. I also learned how the importance of rehearsal, which nobody does anymore, by mm -hmm. the way sad unless very sad two million dollar movies because most low budget films don't have time for rehearsal right but it was so incredibly valuable i mean he taped out on the floor as though it were uh, a sound stage we were on it of course a stage yeah you know a theater and he taped out every room of the of the film of the rooms of the film Oh my here's gosh. Paul and here's Paul and Dorothy's bedroom. Here's just Paul's bedroom. Here's the studio where you're going to be blah, blah, blah. And here's this, here's that. And he would, we rehearsed for six weeks. Oh my gosh. Gets that kind of time. It was like a play. So by the time we went to film this movie, it was no longer a movie. We knew this. We knew this. It was, it was who we were. Right. Wow. False night, and you know he was like psycho man on this. I was like, dude, this guy's turned. <laughs> but you know that he had become that over the six weeks, and he was such a method actor that I think that's probably why. But yeah. he was excellent. He was incredibly good because he had become so deeply ensconced in this world of you know self you know he was a mess this guy right also. literally and and eric like nobody there there there's not a more ch kind of chilling scary performance than that one that i've seen in in many years i agree with you there is a scene in that movie where you're in i don't know if it's your your bedroom i i, I look like that i think from my memory but he's with you and then you're actually, you know, going to have, I guess, make love or have sex, however you want to look at it. But literally, as I'm talking to you, my hands are like sweaty. It it is not a it is not a scene where you're watching, you're thinking, oh, this is so, so sexual or whatever. It's like literally like nerve-wracking watching the scene. It, it's absolutely it, and imagine filming it. And I'm a young girl and it's it was very challenging that was the hardest thing i didn't mind you know like the nudity it was all uh, you know above the waist i wasn't right right know. and you know people will say why did you why were you nude i was like because i was playing playmate i mean <laughs> well, I'm yeah i mean come on you know? i mean yeah. i didn't do a full you know <laughs> the full right. I, you know like it that's who i wanted that's the character i was playing. it wasn't me and and besides that, now at 62, I'm like, damn, you were good <laughs> back then. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, that's pretty wild. I got to say, well, yeah. gosh, thanks for that breakdown. Because that I, that movie's always gotten to me. I'm like, man, how did you do that? You know? Um, so on a lighter note, you you mentioned earlier the superhero movie. So we'll throw that, that one in. Uh, Superman 4, um, I believe the... Um, the quest for peace. 
finer Supermans of all time. <laughs> um, your like, character. You know, what, it, you know what's really funny about that Superman? A lot of people of a generation like just younger than me, like in their fifties now. Yeah. Like late forties, fifties. That was their Superman, right? Everybody has like a superhero movie that they grew up with. Yeah. Right? And that's. That's a lot of this generation. They love this movie. Wow. And another funny story. I'm in India once and I'm on an elephant. I swear to God, I'm riding an elephant in with my kids. Yeah. And the kid who's like, like helping the elephant along to go around in this circle. It's really kind of sad. And I don't think it was abusive, but it probably wasn't the nicest thing. I don't know. Yeah. But this kid is like, he looks up and he goes, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, I think, oh, you know, he's seen like some fantastic, and he's like, you're in Superman for, you're in Superman for. And I was like, you saw Superman? I don't think anybody saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny. That's awesome. The um, So I had read that your part was supposed to be bigger. And then by the time they did the final edit, they'd cut you back. Is that true? Yeah, they had made kind of a romantic thing between Christopher and I, but it didn't really work for the entire brand idea. And Lois was still in it and, you know, whatever. But it we had fun. We had fun making it. What was uh, What was he like, by the way? So unbelievably sweet to me like uh, some people had problems with him but he was very you know he was very hands-on that was his movie like he he wanted to he wanted to turn that superman 4 into its own kind of series of things and you know that didn't happen obviously yeah um, i didn't and, know that but he was great with me oh interesting interesting and then you've got I mean, your career, you got so many angles, but uh, Civil Wars, which I remember myself. Yeah. And Stephen Bochco. What, uh, uh, what is your recollection or what is your overall feeling about what that? I have to say, along with Star 80 and Civil Wars is where I learned how to act bar none. Civil Wars is when you make a series that is an hour long series. Yeah. You have eight days to shoot an hour show. Okay, so maybe 42 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's intense. There is no stopping. You have to know your lines. The hours are insanely long. And you have to, you're like, you are, you are, you have to be a well-oiled machine to do a series of that nature. So my hat's off to anybody who does like, you know, 22 episodes a year of an hour show. It's insane. A lot of dialogue, heavy it's dialogue just, too. Yeah. And I played a lawyer. Right. You know, so I had to have dialogue, you know, like, and I had to be adept, you know, right. and it was great for me. I learned a lot. Um, and if I ever had any fear about memorization, it went out the window because you had no time for that. Right. And, you know, it became very, I loved it. I loved it. I love the speed, you know, like movies are super slow. They're like, yeah, you know, they take a day for a quarter of a scene. You're like, are you kidding? Or a quarter <laughs> of a page. You're like, wow. 
TV is entirely there, like seven pages a day. I mean, it's like insane. You're like literally running. But oh, I yeah. like that. I like, I like to work hard. So for me, it was really fun. How did you like working with uh, Stephen Bochco? He was great. I mean, he was not the hands-on guy. I mean, mm. it was, it was, he oversaw everything and he, he really liked me. I really liked him. I mean, he was a great, you know, one of the great producers of television. Oh he my gosh. Television exactly. round, you know, with NYPD Blue and, and Hill Street Blues and, you know, all these great shows. But Billy Finkelstein uh, was the, uh, the producer creator and he was also great he has a show on it's a cop show can't remember the name of it mm -hmm. right now but he's he's great and mark tinker and i actually oh, yeah. spoke mark tinker yesterday i hadn't spoken to him in 40 some years How yesterday weird. i spoke to him i was at somebody's house it was like oh my god i've got to call mark and i was like what mark <laughs> <laughs> she got marked on the phone. Mark Tinker, who is one of the producers, who's produced as many incredible series. Really famous, actually. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. And then you've got Central Park West with Darren Starr. What did yeah. you how did, and, what, and how did, I realized that I got in the wrong show because he came out with Sex in the City the year after. I was like, oh, yeah. damn it. Why didn't I get on that? <laughs> right, right. And here's and I want to explain to everybody why that show had no chance of making it. So we're making this show. Darren Starr has left, has left the Fox world or whatever. I think it was Fox. Yeah. Which Aaron Spelling like owned everything everything and he, he produced and owned melrose place if you recall Darren 90210 and melrose place was created by darren star but darren mm -hmm. left him to go do his own thing right and aaron was pissed oh yeah angry and he so every night that we were on central park west what even even the the premiere night, he took Melrose Place, which was extremely popular, Very. and he put it on at the same time. Oh. So back in the day, it, was, it wasn't streamers. So every time we were on, he would put Melrose Place on, so oh. that they would, we didn't have a chance. Like nobody watched our show. Like nobody even knew if it was any good. And we're but talking about making it because I was in Manhattan and I lived I chose an apartment on Central Park West I was like if I'm going to be in Central Park West I want to live on Central Park West it was oh my gosh and you had Lauren Hutton you had Raquel Welch I mean I, yeah, it was come insane. on on paper it's a hit I know whatever Tom Verica that was like that was before Tom Verica became a producer and I mean he was also an actor in in how to how to how to how to do a murder or something how to create a murder oh, yeah uh so to, he, in that yeah. as an actor but he he was doing um uh scandal he was like oh one of the producer directors of scandal and now he does all the bridgerton and and queen charlotte and he's amazing we Huge. I actually spoke to him on our podcast once because he queen charlotte is about uh king king mm, richard King Richard? I it might be. I I'm I'm not good I, at, at knowing. Anyway, yeah. it, it, and he had mental illness. So I talked oh. to him about it because he directed oh. it. It's beautifully directed. Anyway, it was such a it was a hoot. I was like, yeah, I haven't seen you since that hit show we were in. 
Oh my gosh, that is hysterical. You've been around yeah. so many. You know, I another know. one for me personally, because I happen to, I was always a fan of this, of John Candy, is Delirious. Such a great, oh, so um, he he was one of the great people that I ever worked with, truly. What was he like when the um when the cameras weren't rolling? Like the nicest person ever. He never left set. He brought in food and coffees and you know, like gifts for the entire crew. If they were going late, he'd stay late to hang out with them and he just made everybody laugh. He was just loving and kind, and 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 he he was a great human being. Oh my gosh, so fine. I mean, I'm sure he was. There was some torture there, but but just couldn't have been nicer. Yeah, he only really. passed away like I want to say like two three years after that was shot. So yeah, he yeah. was doing wagons east, right? And, and yeah, yeah, it, you know, and his weight had gotten so out of control and. But he was such a lovely person. Really wow, wow. The 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 other side of that is deconstructing Harry, which you go back to Woody Allen. What was the experience like? You know, we're talking like 20 years between those two movies, yeah. something like that. What was the experience was like going fun. back? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it kind of felt like, well, that was a kind of a letdown as far as a role. But, mm -hmm. but I felt like I was playing the mother of the character I played in the first one. <laughs> really? No, I just feel like, <laughs> like, I don't know. You know, I was playing his ex-wife or something and we had a son together. I don't know. It was funny. It was a little bit, yeah, it was a little lackluster in my opinion, but, uh, but it was fun. I, I liked being on the set with, with him and with the crew and, you know, he, he always has the same people. Was it, was it the same vibe as far as how you were directed? Kind of like, he just yeah. lets you do your thing. He lets you do your thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. The um the the other ones were Becker and uh, Roseanne. I saw that you had been on um, Becker. Wow. Yeah. Ted Danson. That was a big deal. That was like that was a huge deal because I, you know, I guess because I'd play a lesbian in personal best nobody. Yeah. You know, yeah. Before, before it's time. And then, you know, I got a call from the producers at Roseanne and they were like, you know, will Marielle Hemingway come on and and play a lesbian and kiss Roseanne? I was like, sure. Mm -hmm. Why yeah. not? Yeah. And I didn't even realize that that was going to be that big a deal. Yeah. It was such a big deal. And like, sure. I had no idea that it was going to be like, it was insane. Like there were people across the country that would not air it. It was <laughs> so funny. I was like, really? Oh my goodness. I think that I was naive when it came to stuff like that. It was crazy. Yeah. Why do you, you know, it's kind of like you mentioned personal best too. Why do you think like for you, especially at times when like, you know, asking now, oh, you played a lesbian. It's like big deal. <laughs> But, you know, when we're talking about during these times, you just had like, sure, I'll do it. I'll play that yeah, athlete like that. I'll do this. No, I, I mean, in, in, in the most kind of naive, I just didn't have any judgment about people's sexuality or this or that, whether or not that was my idea. And like, I really saw acting as like, a play an actress. Okay. Oh, I'll go. I'll do that. I found it, I find it interesting to play people that you aren't, you know, right. like, it, I mean, there's always a seed of yourself in anything you do, but 
but to play some someone authentically is to to play somebody you're not and that's yeah. what acting is so i just i i never i never thought that was weird here's the one thing i won't do i don't like to play people that are evil because i'm i don't i don't like darkness i'm scared of it i mm -hmm. i i have deep fear so it would be very hard for me to play somebody who was was genuinely evil to the core i don't think i could do it i don't think i want to do it because i don't want to know where my head would have to go to think to to be that kind of person right you know? right and you it's like does that stay yeah, with you a I little just, bit i don't yeah. know I just for me like i know that it's acting but i i i don't want to dig into like mm -hmm. that kind of ground you know i what understand I mean? Yeah, I understand. So with Becker, I mean, just because I trust me, I know my audience, my audience would be like, well, wait, you mentioned Becker with Ted Dancer, but she never said anything. What what, <laughs> what was your experience like with Ted Dancer? I love, you know, the funny thing is I lived, he lived down the street from me We in, in Santa Monica. He lived on a street just around the corner from where my kids were really small. Wow. And Ted, Ted's just a good guy. Like he's so regular. He's mm -hmm. like a normal guy, super funny, but easy going. He's a good guy. He's another one of those guys that you're just like, oh yeah. You know, the, some of the great ones that stick around forever, yep. they're the best guys. Clint Eastwood, you know, like these guys, they're, they're just, they're, they're good guys, you know, they're, and they're, they haven't changed. Nothing ever changed them. They right. just, they, who just they are and they had success and then they're, are who they are you do know the work yeah, yeah. Exactly. like Clint Eastwood's like what what do you think I'm gonna do yeah yeah I like I'm 90 whatever and who cares and he's still going know. he's still going I think we should mention your book by the way um I for those that don't know Outcome the Sun um out, because out came the sun out came the sun well yeah. let's mention it in the right way um okay. <laughs> out came the sun but uh you know, you talked a lot about the mental illness in your family and all that. And I think that that, that book really captures a lot of, a yes. lot of that. So yeah. I think it's good that people know about it and know yeah. that. Yeah. So out, out came the sun. It, you know, the, it comes from that little, that little thing. It's a bitsy spider, you know, oh, that is, yeah. yeah. And, and out came, the sun coming out for me is really it's really about light. And, and when people are in darkness, mm -hmm. you know, they think that there is no, there is no sun. It's why I do a podcast called outcomes the sun, because mm. it, it really is about knowing that you're not alone in darkness. And uh, so it's a, you know, it's, it's a book about my life in Hollywood, growing up in a family of addicts and, people that have taken their life, but also were really amazing people, brilliant and, and, and creative, but what those traumas do to you and how you have to, you know, and how we all choose to survive. So it's my story, but I tell it so that people know that they can tell their story and find help. Wow. What, and what about, and I think I get it by the way, on this next question, but it's one of those, I'm curious, running from crazy. Um, mm -hmm very uh very honest yeah i don't know how else so to that is a that i 
I wrote out came uh, out came the sun after doing running from crazy running from crazy is the documentary version of outcome out came the sun but it's really an exploration into suicide of my of of my heritage so suicide of my great-grandfather Ernest and Margot and and looking at why somebody takes their life where they were and 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 how do you survive it and how do you understand it it was really trying to understand my family so that I could understand myself better but it's so brutally honest I mean if I'm not mistaken if I am let me know I'm sure you'll know this but I remember seeing a clip from, and I can't remember if it was from that or not, where you actually show, like you're standing there and it's not that you're casual about it, but you're just very direct, very no BS, where your grandfather actually committed suicide. And you're like, this is where it happened. And this is, we still have the house. And you you, you say it very kind of like, this is part of life. Was it, is that hard? Was that hard for but you? It was, it was how it's part of life then. And and now, but I actually, as a child, would never go in the door to where that area is. And it's a mm. little kind of, I guess it's considered the front door of the house. Mm -hmm. but I never, as a child, would go in there. Never. Wow. And I never knew why until I was 16 years old and my father, father was showing somebody the house and I was with him. And he said, yes, and this is where my, my father took his life. And I had never known. And then it all made sense as to why I wouldn't go in that door. Because I ne it scared me. I wouldn't go in there. I would not go in that, in that door. It just, like, people would say, go get me a, you know, go get a tray of mm -hmm. something. Because they had a birthday party every year on his birthday. And I would go around to the back door. I wouldn't, would not go in that door. And you didn't even know. I didn't even know. I didn't know why I wouldn't, but it just creeped me out. Wow. That is freaky. So did you feel like you kind of came to terms with it? Like, oh yeah. I mean, I think I, I now, you know, like, obviously I came to terms with it because once you know why you're afraid and then you realize that no boogeyman can get me in there, then you're fine. Right. Mm -hmm. We all, but in, t but what you don't know is what scares you, but when mm -hmm. you know, then, then you're free. And yeah. that's why I tell my story because by telling it, it can't get me. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes a story. Right. Right. Um, toward, you know, every time I end these interviews, I always talk about what is a person's favorite charities, their causes and things like that. With you, I also think of the book that you wrote with uh, your partner, Bobby Bobby. Williams. Yeah, yes. running with nature. Yes. Um, what is that? Was this a uh, you know something of just the two of you coming together for the love of what what you believe in, or or what do you what do you feel? Oh yeah, I mean when we met, we were introduced by somebody who said you two have to meet. You're exactly alike. <laughs> Bobby is a very exactly alike male version, <laughs> and you've met him, so you yes. know that true. He's just very. He's like, if, if there's a definition of man in the flipping, <laughs> there's Bobby, like, like a man. <laughs> but True. our belief systems and our philosophy about life are exactly the same. 
we believe mm-hmm. in nature we believe that the that body mind spirit come together and to be healthy you have to be aware of everything that you do so we're very conscious of food and exercise and and we call it the seven doctors dr sun dr air dr exercise dr nutrition dr rest dr earth and dr what water did i say water I, i'm not sure if you did say water actually hey, yeah. yeah i didn't say water I think, I think anyway right. so it's you know what do you drink do you get do you connect in nature do you take time for silence do you drink water do you know how to breathe are you even breathing be, you know below here right uh, are you exercising you know people get old because they quit moving because things start to ache and you think oh mm-hmm. I, i've got to slow down i'm getting old it's actually when you don't slow down i mean yes you may not move as fast but not moving is a recipe for getting old. So yeah. our belief is that, and it's not about like, oh, I want to stay young to be vain. Mm-hmm. It's about, I want to stay young because I want to be vital and I want to be with my grandkids and I want to be able mm-hmm. to run. You know, I want to yep. run on the beach with them. I don't want to be like, you know, limping along. But it's a choice. It's a lifestyle choice. And we believe that these lifestyle choices lead to to real longevity, to re- but longevity that has meaning, that is like, I'm I'm happy. I mean, we play all, Bobby and I laugh more than most kids I know. Mm-hmm. We laugh all the time. Kids laugh probably three, you know, babies and children laugh 300 plus times a day. Yep. Adults, 20. Bobby and I, 450. No, I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> but we, we do laugh a lot. And it's yeah. awesome. I it mean, is. sometimes we have had to pull the car over because we're laughing so hard about, and we can't even figure out what we started laughing about. Right. Because that's part of our 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 longevity and our curiosity about life. And, you know, we talk about, you know, using the brain and being curious and being passionate and, you know, and we share that passion together. So he's got an amazing business that, you know, that we can't really talk about yet, but, you know, <laughs> right. like he's created a machine that is extraordinary. That's going to change people's lives mm-hmm. when it comes to their health and wellness. And that's, we're so interested in that. Like how great would it be to be able to say, no, you, it's your choice and it's not going to be like a pill that you take it's it's about if you do these things you can you can pretty much choose the kind of life and length of life you want to lead right i mean obviously there are are things that all of us deal with genetically and all of that but outside of that yeah without a doubt but i also think that you can i mean if if i were left to believe that my genetics were my were, that was kind of the sentence that I was giving. Oh yeah, no, 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 not that. You know, I, would, that yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. Started, so it's right. it's both. Yes, you are yeah. given genetics. You, you know, sometimes you have a heart thing because right, right, more along it. those but, lines. I'm no, talking. Whatever. You know, you have a but, disease that couldn't be but cured. We can, you know. But you can make a difference even in those things. You can, mm-hmm. you can create a better life within those within those limits that you may right. have diet exercise, exercise. food all of that yeah right. yep. right. meditation whatever you yeah. want to say exactly yeah. 
exactly. very interesting. So yeah. just just to end, what uh, what causes then would you say like you know people are, people ask me this all the time like what what causes are they behind? What do you like like you know charities or anything like that? You know what are you? Like, I do have. I do have a foundation. It's called the Mariel Hemingway Foundation. Such a unique name. What that I is, I have to admit, a lot of time went into that. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, I did because I was. We were going to name it some. We had all these different names, and then my best friend and I just said, oh, "Why don't we just name it Mariel Hemingway Foundation?" Because nobody can argue with us then, right? Yeah, because and you're back in it. About, yeah. and it's about mental health. It's to help people. What we want to become, and we are not yet. So for those of you that are listening and think, you know, I looked online. Yes, you will find MarielHemingwayFoundation.org, but we are not what we want to be. And what we mm -hmm. want to be, and we need money for that, is we want to be a resource navigator. We want to be a place where no matter where you are in the country, you can plug in your location and we will give you all the different options, holistic, psychiatric, hmm hospitals, recovery centers, whatever your mental health problem is, will give you solutions in your area. And, you know, it's, That's it's wonderful. always up to you. But, uh, and the reason for wanting to do that is that because I speak all over the country about mental health, nobody knows where to go or what to do. Right. And, and it, there are small, wonderful these foundations that are in, you know, like I was just in Cleveland, amazing foundation, Lakata, Lakata Way, right? Great foundation. But like people actually don't know, even in their own hometown, who's who do, who can help me? I and also that. they yeah. don't know who can help me and are they any good? So what I'd also like to be is like a good housekeeping seal of approval to say, yes, we vetted these and they're very successful. That's really cool. All right. Yeah. I'm giving you one last thing here. Okay. I saw, and I got to be honest with you, I can't get it out of my head. Just this small phrase that you had, and I think it might've been on your website, chop wood, carry water. Really stuck with me. I don't, I don't know how to explain that, but it really stuck in my head. Where, I, where does that come from? What, what is the so thought? It's a, it's a, it's a Buddhist term that the monks it's really about being present so it's about the it's about the kind of the menial tasks that we do every day when you chop wood carry water is washing the dishes brushing your teeth mm -hmm. cleaning out you know cleaning i don't know cleaning your sink right just the simple things that we do every single day and doing them completely with presence. It's just life. The best of life is when you're present to the small things, right? Yeah. When you are paying attention. So I love mornings because mornings are like, they just represent like new and 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 birth it's like the start of a day the sun rising yeah so when i make coffee in the morning it's like a ritual for me i love morning rituals and to me morning rituals are chop wood carry water it's mm -hmm. just it's 
I used to live on a little ranch I bought with the first money that I got when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And I bought some land in Idaho and my father took me up there. And there were so many days that I was by myself and I woke up early and I I did my, I, I literally chopped wood. Wow. Out front. You know, I chopped wood and I would stack it. And there's something so beautiful about paying attention to what you're doing when you're doing it. So that when you're making coffee or when you're washing the dishes or when you're brushing your teeth, that's all you're doing. You're feeling the water in your mouth if you're brushing your teeth, the taste of peppermint, whatever it is. But being aware of the smallest things can be enriching to your life. It sounds boring, but really I'm only talking to you right now, Mm -hmm. right? So when on the occasion when Bobby was trying to call me and I looked down, it irritates me because I'm like, I'm not present to you in that moment. Right. And that's, it's a disservice to you. It's also a disservice to myself, to my ability to be here Mm -hmm. right now. And it's something I learned when I met with his holiness, the Dalai Lama, I watched Mm -hmm. him listen to people and he listened in a way that nobody listens and my grandfather was big about listening people don't listen because people are so interested in what they have to say and i you know i'm guilty of it we all are we're Mm -hmm. all like listening with that thought of oh i'll get this in oh i'll get this in right Right. and to be present is to be wholly there with somebody looking them in the eye listening Mm -hmm. And watching His Holiness listen to people was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen in my life. Because it wasn't what he said, it was how he listened. Because nobody else was in that room. In, in, I was in a room with like 10 very whoop-de-doo people yeah. you know, speaking with His Holiness. And I was sitting next to him and I watched him listen. And it it changed me. I thought, if I ever can do something better, it is that I, I need to learn that. Wow. I need to learn how to listen. So that's why I write, wrote Chop Wood, Carry Water. Interesting. So he so he would be just like everything else didn't matter. He was Every, right there. Nobody else was in the room. And then at the end, when he looked at me like to say goodbye, and he looked me in the eye and he said, you're okay. I was like, oh. And you have to know you're okay he said you're okay yeah oh wow and it it wasn't psychic he could feel energetically that it was very insecure and I was very I was looking I was always looking for a guru or somebody Mm -hmm. or a doctor or a teacher or somebody smarter better bigger than Mm -hmm. me to give me an answer about me and what he did was release me from the desire to need somebody else to tell me about myself. He was like, you're okay. Like, you're fine. You're okay. You're you, right? Mm-hmm. Just look, look inside. And that's when I changed my life. I changed my life. Not, And it wasn't like, oh, psychic, oh, I'm going to follow you. Mm-hmm. I have respect for you. But it was like, I'm my best guru. Mm-hmm. I'm my best teacher. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was fantastic. I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know why I had to ask you about that. It's stuck no, in my I head, but that was so that. wonderful. 
That was really cool. I enjoyed that. You too. Um, okay. Well, listen, I loved talking with you and obviously tell Bobby I said hi as well. Really well. He's keeps yeah. subject. As you have to text him. But yeah, I do. Um, but anyway, yeah, just thanks a bunch, Muriel. I, I really appreciate it. And I hope that, you know, people that uh, come to see it, they, you know, they take something away because you had some wonderful things to say. Wow. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. You know. Oh, my gosh. Total, total pleasure. Anyway, I appreciate you. Thanks. So, talk to you soon. See you soon, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks for coming. And uh, please check us out also on youtube.com slash that's classic TV, where you can actually watch and see the celebrities that are on the show. Thanks again. Bye-bye.